0: Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Potomac Perspective from Stiefel. I'm Neil Shapiro, head of corporate communications, joined as always by Brian Gardner, our chief Washington policy strategist. Hi, Brian. How are you? Good, Neil. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Brian, you know, in the past few weeks, we've sort of touched on the midterm elections, but now, by my calculation, we're about six months away. So maybe it's time we take a little bit of a deeper dive into what's at stake, maybe talk about some outcome scenarios. And Brian, it comes at a time where clearly Democrats are not going to get much of a boost from, uh, from President Biden, who continues to have some approval issues. That's correct. So you know, for,
1: for listeners who were uh, waiting for our draft outlook, our NFL draft outlook, they'll probably be a little bit disappointed. We're going to give them an election outlook instead. Um, so as you mentioned, the president's job approval numbers are not good. Um, So in the real clear politics average, his current job, average job approval rating is 41%. That's a net negative 12.7 points. That's a 30 point swing in the past year. Uh, And then you look at the generic poll. Who are you going to vote for in the upcoming elections, Democrat or Republican? Republicans are up 3.8%, oh, eight eight points, I should say. Sorry about that. Um, That's a nine point swing in a year. And Republicans have traditionally not done well in that poll, even in years where they've had big um, election outcomes, midterm election outcomes. They've typically trailed in the generic poll. So the fact that they're actually up is a very ominous sign. And then you throw in the inflation numbers, views of the economy, right track, wrong track uh that's all reflected in the poll numbers that i just uh went through but it gives you a sense of of what the uh what the white house and democrats are looking at so that's
0: brian and brian that's for this point in his presidency that's that's historically a a weak numbers these are not normal normal numbers for a sitting president
1: that that, that's that's the territory when the the, uh the red lights are flashing warning the bad sign so um, you know, so what does all that mean? Um, do we have the upcoming elections uh, in the midterms? The uh, the entire house is up. Uh, house runs every two years, so all four hundred and thirty-five members are up. Democrats have roughly a, a four-seat advantage right now. There are a couple of vacancies, but I won't I won't get into those right now. A couple of retirements, a couple of passings that those are the reasons why you get those vacancies from time to time. But uh, they've got about a four-five seat cushion. Um, it, so. The and the 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 party in power typically on average loses twenty six seats, so you can see that Republicans are in very strong position. So I, I'm very confident Republicans are going to pick up the House. I'm less sure about the Senate. Yeah, that's why. that's that's the bigger one, right? And we'll get into that why it's bigger uh, in, in a second. Um, but let me tell you why I'm not as sure about what's going to happen with the Senate. So. Where I just said the entire house runs, that's not the case for the Senate. Only a third of the Senate runs in any given year. This year we're going to have 35 seats. It was 34. It's up up one to 35 because Senator Inhofe from Oklahoma is uh, is resigning. Um, so there'll be a special election to fill um, the remainder of his term. Um, and in that in the Senate, uh, that 35 seat. Uh, bucket it breaks down: twenty-one Republican seats, fourteen Democratic seats. So, what does that mean? That means that there are more pickup opportunities for Democrats, fewer pickup demo, uh, pickup opportunities for Republicans. Um, and candidates matter more in the Senate than they do in House races. Uh, it's a statewide election, so the national press covers it, the state press covers it. It's
0: and there's just only, not two, of there's only two of them. Two of
1: them. There's only two of them. Right in each state. So um, it's just not possible to cover 435 House races. And mm-hmm. so the, the, the press uh, is at a disadvantage there. And so you just don't get the views in the the, the, the insights in, and the coverage into candidates like you do with, uh, uh, with the senate Senate races. So candidates matter more. And we don't even know who the candidates are in all the races because we're we're just getting into primary season, so in the primaries over the next couple of months, those are going to determine who the candidates are. But we still don't know yet. Um, so there there are nine key races that I'm looking at right now. That that number can fluctuate as as time goes along, but right now we're looking at four key races of uh, uh, nine key races. Four of them are currently held by Democrats. Um, Arizona. Georgia; those are two special elections. Uh, Well, not special elections; they were special elections in uh, twenty twenty. They're they're going to um, these are for full terms now. Nevada and New Hampshire, and on the Republican side, there are actually a couple more. There's one more key race than for the Democratic side: Missouri, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. And all those races, except for Wisconsin, those are where you have Republican retirements. That's why they're kind of you know, up in the air and close. I mean, Missouri is a pretty Republican state. Ohio is a very Republican state right now. And so you would think that Republicans would have the advantage and they should win. And I, I think they probably will win uh, at the end of the day. But the the fact that there are open seats right now,
0: it it just it gives you another layer of uncertainty about how they're going to play out. So assuming, Brian, that the scenario plays out the way you just described, right, the Republicans pick up a number of seats in the House and gain control, the Senate, they should do well, we don't know. But assuming that that scenario is is holds, um, what are the market implications you think that we should be preparing for? So for if the if the Republicans
1: win either the House or the Senate, doesn't matter which, obviously both would be even bigger. But it, that just shuts off the, the Biden legislative agenda. Um, so uh, big tax increases would be off the table. I mean, we, we've talked about build that better. We'll go back. You know, we may touch on that later on this morning. But, um, you know, that that would be off the table. So big transformative type of policy initiatives that need congressional approval, th- th- those are off the table. The president would still control the regulatory agenda, uh, the agencies. So the agenda there is under his control. And, and uh, so I'd be looking at the Department of Justice continued work on, on antitrust and, and the banking regulators and what they're gonna do on banking mergers. That, th- those types of issues are still in play regardless of what happens uh, with the congressional elections. The Senate, I would say, is a little bit more important uh, because it does have a say in confirming presidential nominations. Uh, So if there's an opening at a given agency, uh, a Senate control, a Republican controlled Senate could block potentially a a Biden nominee or force the the administration to to pivot a little bit and send up uh, a nominee who's a little bit more uh, moderate uh, than what we've been seeing in the, the so far out of the Biden administration. Um, That being said, the the Trump administration kind of gave the the Biden folks a playbook on how to handle some vacancies, which is one, uh, really the the most important way is just uh, appoint an acting head of the agency and not go through the Senate confirmation process. There was a time where that was thought that's not an optimal way to do things that you really want to have a Senate confirmed person running the agency, but those days are gone. And so no, we had I mean, a lot they, of those during Trump, right? Yes, we had a lot yep, of the absolutely. So um, I, I, th- you know, even, um, even a switching of the Senate, a flipping of the Senate, I still think the, the, the Biden administration, unless it, it decides on its own that it wants to go in a more moderate direction um, there's a playbook, there's a pathway out there for them to continue to put uh, more progressive types uh, as agency heads and kind of circumvent uh, the Senate.
0: But, but then you also have the issue, once we get past the midterms, we're talking about the Biden agenda, and then you got to start thinking about the next presidential election cycle, right? So that changes yes. the compass a little bit for the president.
1: Yeah. Ab- well. Absolutely. You know, uh, uh, President Biden has said he's going to run again, um, depending, you know, the, the, the election outcome could color his views on that. It mm-hmm. may- cause him to rethink his strategy, his, his future, you know, th- those are issues that will be decided afterwards. I, I, I don't think anybody has a, any great
0: insight about um, um, whether he will change his mind or not. Yeah. Well, we, we definitely know from past experience that social media networks like Twitter can uh, play a big role in campaigns and maybe even elections. So Elon Musk buying Twitter, do you think that changes the equation at all, in your opinion? It, it could. So the, you know, the, uh, the sale probably doesn't close
1: for another six months. So its impact on the midterm elections is probably limited. Um, uh, uh, Musk is going to have to get regulatory approvals, especially abroad in Asia, in Europe. Um, yes, in the United States, but I, I think those international approvals might be a bigger deal um, in terms of closing the sale. Uh, so, I think the bigger the bigger impact from the sale of Twitter comes after the midterms. Uh, President Trump, former President Trump, has said he won't get back on Twitter. Um, I don't so buy it. I don't I, buy
0: it. I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a little skeptical that Neil. Um, I think uh, and- I think we've seen him working his thumbs out. I think he's got a <laughs> trainer and he's already practicing working his thumbs. So when they let him back, when they let him back, he's ready to go. He's in tip top shape.
1: Yeah, I, 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 I know what he said, but. Um, I'm skeptical and I think a lot of Republicans are skeptical. And if he were to return to to Twitter, I think that causes problems for Republicans because he's going to be out tweeting so much um, that 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 will control the agenda uh, a lot for Republicans. And they're going to have to react uh, to a lot of the unexpected uh, things that he can tweet from time to time. So um, that can cause problems for Republicans uh, going forward you know, and, and just thinking down the road, let's say it's 2023 and they've and Republicans have picked up the House and or the Senate, doesn't matter really which, and they're doing the annual budget. And all of a sudden, there's a Trump tweet about how they need to vote against it. Um, and does that does that, you know, steer Republicans into a government shutdown? The debt ceiling has to be increased. You know, does does Trump get the the Republican base all riled up to oppose an increase in the debt ceiling? And do we go for another uh, showdown uh, that spooks the markets? So these are things that Republicans probably quietly would prefer that he would stay off Twitter, Um, but we'll see. Um, And on the flip side, Democrats probably unhappy uh, about must buying Twitter. Uh, I think uh, Elizabeth Warren was out uh, this morning uh, criticizing uh, his his purchase more on the uh, the accumulation of wealth um, uh, that angle and why you know Democrats need to pass a uh, a wealth tax um, not so much on the social media side but more on on uh, financial equality inequality as she would see it um, but uh, you know I, I can see Democrats kind of leaning into more tech regulation they have a couple of bills uh, that have been floating around Congress, more on the antitrust side that targets uh, Silicon Valley, doesn't really get a Twitter. um, Really, some of the other uh, Silicon Valley players, uh, Facebook, Google, Amazon, less Twitter, but Democrats might have a renewed interest in revising Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, something that's been floated about. Republicans have been interested in that. Maybe Democrats suddenly get religion on that and and want to take a look and then i think the angle that's really going to play out longer term and i think it's kind of interesting there's a fintech fintech angle here uh because uh you know elon musk uh, might consider how twitter could expand its role in, in the payment system the payment space the use of cryptocurrencies and i don't pretend to know what his plans are how it all might play out but if If he does push Twitter in a payments direction um, and getting more involved in the uh, financial services universe and architecture, then Washington becomes more interested um, in Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something to uh, to keep an eye on. But I think that's longer term.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people don't really know what, what the future holds for Twitter. I mean, we don't have a lot of details. I don't even think we know who's going to run the company. Right. Uh, right. So I'm sure obviously um, a lot of the Washington angles will be impacted by what he eventually does with the company. No, I agree.
1: Um, again, you know, <clears throat> some of this stuff is, is longer term. Um, the, 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 there's immediate political implications um, that'll come right after the midterms when the deal closes, but longer term um, his, his, uh, his recrafting of
0: Twitter uh, is certainly
1: going to have Washington's attention.
0: Yeah. Well, he himself has had Washington's attention in a lot of ways for a lot, for a long time now. So yep. I'm sure that will continue. So, Brian, real quick, um, build back better legislation. We've talked about it a lot. You've said it's never quite nothing in Washington is ever fully dead. The legislation itself appears to be going nowhere, um, but some parts of that bill do appear to still be in play. Any, um, any updates that you want to share with us on that? So so two, and there's slightly different angles on
1: Build Back Better. So um, recently, Senator Warren um, said that Democrats need to run on something. And I'm paraphrasing, but that was the message. Run on something. And I, I think that's a reason why Build Back Better isn't dead. The, so, and when I say isn't dead, I'm not talking about the bill that passed the House back in December. That is dead, right? That version is not coming back. Um, uh, but there are parts of that bill that could get crafted, recrafted into something else. And I think Warren is signaling to progressives that they need to accept something. Something's better than nothing. You know, getting a deal is still hard. Um, it's not easy. There may be progressives who don't listen to Warren, um, who think that a deal that Senator Manchin might approve of is not in their interest and is too little. Um, and so I think part of what they've been talking about, at least conceptually, is kind of taking the the climate portion of the, the bill and, and revising that, slimming it down. A little bit so it it meets more with with mansion's views on energy and climate uh having some of the tax portion in there maybe a a prescription drug price uh provision in there um and then call it a day um whether that's enough for progressives i don't know um relatedly and more recently even um even more recent than the warren comments was uh, it's been reported by axios that there's a bipartisan group of senators, including Senator Manchin, that are looking at uh, a climate and energy bill that might have some parts of, of Bill back better. Certainly not as broad as the president's original bill. What was considered in the House. Now this group hasn't agreed to anything yet, so it's too soon to know whether it's something that can pass the Senate. Um, it's kind of interesting that it is bipartisan, though. Um, that 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 would create a problem probably for some Democrats who would who would think it's not, um, it's not aggressive enough on climate and maybe too pro-carbon, um, but the fact that it would be bipartisan and get 60 votes and not use the reconciliation rules that Build Back Better has used, um, that's kind of interesting because that gives you more flexibility uh, if you can get 60 votes. Uh, presumably that's not gonna have a tax portion in the bill. Um, this would be kind of standalone. Um, so we don't know whether they it can pass the Senate, whether it can get 60 votes, because even if you get 10 Republicans, are there going to be a handful of Democrats who drop out and say, no, they're, they're not on board, then you don't have 60 and you're back where you started. And even if they can get 60 in, in the Senate, are House Democrats going to go along with it? Do they think that it's, it's just not in their interest, that it's, it's, uh, it's not what they want to do on climate, that it sends a bad message uh, to their voters and their base um so i've got a lot of questions about whether these bipartisan talks can succeed and produce anything but again you know that's that's why i don't uh, why i say that the, the bill isn't dead um a variation of the bill is still alive um a lot of questions kind of as
0: i've laid out but it's, it's not dead yet on life support as you always yes. say but not, not yep. yet. exactly got it well brian thanks as always. Um, Thank you, Neil. Appreciate spending some time with you. And thanks everyone for listening. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Potomac Perspective.